Hello, and welcome to episode four of In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Randall Jacobs, to talk about what's been going on in gravel this week. My long-form interview show will be back next week with Dr. Alan Lim from Scratch Labs. In the Dirt is sponsored by listeners like you. You can visit me at www.thegravelride.bike if you care to support what we're doing. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure to hit the subscribe button as it really is a great indicator as to how well we're doing as a podcast. With all that, let's dive right into this week's discussion. Randall, how you doing this week? I'm doing all right, Craig. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I am back out on the trails. My ribs have healed up at least enough to go gravel riding. Excellent. Excellent. What have you been riding lately? Um, you know, same old, same old. I've been sort of erring towards descending on the road rather than descending off-road because I'm still hurting a little bit when uh, I'm getting bounced around. But some of, the, some of the old favorites, getting out out in Mount Tam, of course. Yep. Yep. Totally makes sense. I'd be doing the same. How about you? Have you you've been getting out? Uh, not as much as I'd like. Uh, we're getting ready to move out of the city, and so we're packing up. But I've gotten out for a uh, single gravel ride and then a couple of road rides. Uh, nice. So a little bit more 700C these days. Speaking of gravel riding, what's been on my mind this week has been the whole DIY gravel movement. And it mm. started back with Ted King kind of at the beginning of the year when the first of these events were getting canceled. And I think what he basically said was, I'm going to ride the event distance from Vermont or wherever he's hanging his hat at the moment. And he was encouraging everybody to do the same. So if you were registered for Belgian waffle ride, go out and ride 140 miles in, you know, in Marin, in my case. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, um, given the circumstances, um, like this is obviously going to a big mass, uh, you know, mass start event doesn't really make a lot of sense in a pandemic, but, um, we all still have this hunger to be out, like doing something together, even if it's apart and we can kind of report to each other what we're up to. So it's been interesting to see how, like, you know, my Strava feed has been full of people doing these sorts of activities. Yeah. And a lot of crazy rides in general in my Strava feed. What struck me is sort of with that kickoff point, obviously with more and more events being canceled, we started to see different variations of, hey, what can you get motivated for in a virtual way that you can do in your neck of the woods, preferably by yourself? So you saw Rebecca Rush put out kind of her Eversting weekend, which got a lot of people fired up. Mm -hmm. You had um, Amanda Nauman do something that created like, I think it had to be an 18 mile route with over a thousand, 2000 feet of climbing, which was fun to kind of lay down. But the one that got me kind of excited and I want to talk about a little bit more was I've been working with the team at SBT Gravel to create Mm -hmm. a virtual SBT event for August What's different about their event is they are saying, hey, let's all do it on, I think it's August 16th. Obviously, we're doing it apart. We're doing it with social distancing rules, Mm -hmm. all the above. But they're basically saying, wherever you are, either someone in the community is going to create one of these routes, and they've got four different courses, um, or you can kind of create your own that's roughly the same mileage as their red, green, blue, and black courses out there in Steamboat. Well, and you've definitely taken most of our rides. You've shown me a little, uh, little jog or something that I haven't seen before. It's a lot of fun. So do you have your route done? Like what are the, what are the parameters for what you're putting together? 
I do. So I have four routes for basically starting at the Golden Gate Bridge. Nice. And I took my sort of the feeling I had doing the blue course out in Steamboat last year and tried to design a ride at the blue level that was going to make me feel as destroyed as I felt after that <laughs> ride. Um, but taking into account, like our terrain is radically different. So like I couldn't match it mile per mile, but I think effort level I've matched or exceeded it. Yeah. It's funny how like it doesn't feel quite satisfying enough unless you're, you know, just a little bit shattered at least at the very end. Yeah. And I have to say, so I mean, my philosophy was on the green route, I just wanted a newer rider to have something that was it was tough, but also indicative of all the great riding around here. So I have mm-hmm. them going up old railroad grade and kind of coming back through and weaving into Tennessee Valley. So they're doing a, probably more mixed terrain than some of the other routes, but certainly like a go-to ride for anybody riding out of San Francisco. Awesome. Yeah. I remember some of the, the group rides we used to host and we'd have like, you'd be able to link up at different parts of the route and there'd be bailout points. And, and so it's nice to hear that we're kind of, you're creating things that are accessible to all abilities and the like. Totally. And then when we move up to the red course, this is where I get really excited. Cause I'm, I'm a huge fan of climbing up coastal view from above mirror beach. Uh-huh. So the red course, blue course, and black course all go up there. In the blue course, I actually have you descending down panoramic to Stinson, out the road all the way to Randall Trail, back up Randall, across Fairfax, Bolinas, back to the top, and then riding over and through Laurel Dell, over to East Peak, and then down to West Point, and kind of back that way. I didn't realize I had a trail named after me on Tam. I'll have to check that one out. I must have been on it at some point, just didn't even notice the name. <laughs> exactly. And that that one, the blue course is going to hurt. I mean, that would be, a, I would definitely view that as a big day. And then popping up to the black course. So the black course in Steamboat was 140 miles. And I think they had close to 10,000 feet of climbing. I've got the black course going up Randall, but heading out all the way to Alima, mm-hmm. back along the Cross Marin Trail, and then climbing up San Geronimo Ridge, which if you're a San Francisco-based rider, getting out there is quite a long haul, but it's a super special ride. And going up to the top of there, you just hit terrain that you don't hit in the other parts of Tam in any way. Across the top, you get these big baby head rock gardens that are going to be a chore for a lot of riders. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, we really live in a in a gravel riding mecca, and you especially being right at the foot of Tam, not having to ride through the city and over the bridge like I do every single time. That's great. Yeah, and the, this one, the black course, you still are weaving your way off-road all the way back to the city for the most part. I think I take take mercy on you back in Tennessee Valley and send you on the road through Sausalito just because I was thinking about how hard this ride would be for me and thinking, you know, I would be crying for mercy at that point. So you get a nice cruise home. And I think when it's all said and done, if you start on the north side of the Golden Gate Bridge, which is where I have the ride starting, you're at 75 miles and 10,000 feet of climbing. Oof. Okay. I was going to say, if I end up doing, if I end up back in the bay to do this, maybe I have to add the headlands, but um, that already seems pretty proper as it is. 
Yeah. And at, at this point with a little bit of a setback with my ribs, I'm kind of vacillating between whether I can even do my own black course, to be honest. <laughs> we'll see. I'm going to be, um, I'll be up at, in uh, Seattle coming up real soon. And uh, a friend of my, and I are going to do a reverse ramrod. Wow. Uh, which will be another one of those like epic rides that is canceled this year. Uh, I've never done it before. He's done it, but uh, you know, doing that, doing that, I think in the counterclockwise direction uh, is the reverse. But anyways, that should be also a, a pretty epic day. Yeah, you'll have to keep me posted on that. I'm sure I'll see it on Strava. Yeah, for sure. If I can pull that off in a day. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So the um, the cool thing about what SBT has done, and I think I mentioned this earlier on, is They've got 36 city routes already curated mm -hmm. by people in the gravel community. And it dawned on me that unlike some of the other approaches, which were all good about you know getting you off the couch and getting you doing big rides, the cool thing about this is just going to be this legacy of amazing routes put together by thoughtful people in the community, essentially doing what I did. Like I wanted to write a love letter to Marin County gravel riding. Mm -hmm, and I, mm -hmm. I think I've done it. I mean, it's not, it's not the end of the book by any means, but I put my heart and soul into these roots and I really wanted to pick some of my favorite pieces of dirt just to make sure people were encouraged to get out there. And I got to believe that, you know, the team's doing it in Austin or Indianapolis or Boston or Seattle, they're all doing the same thing. So how cool is it that SPT gravel is putting this all, all out on ride with GPS and people are going to be able to find it when, when they travel. That's awesome. And it's actually the timing couldn't be better for me right now because I'll be bouncing around for the next few months. So I'll have to check out some of these routes. Exactly. Oh, I was going to say also Ride With GPS is pretty interesting. Um, it's, I think it's the only like uh, phone-based software that has like a horizontal mode for um, you know, when you're in ride. So showing your data and your navigation, a lot of other uh, apps don't offer that, um, which is, you know, if anyone can think of another, please let us know. Uh, but that's a, a really cool tool from a team that seems really engaged with their community. Yeah, it's, re it's a really interesting nuance not to drop into that rabbit hole of riding with your iPhone. But it's one of those things that I always thought was missing. Like whenever you ride with it in, in uh, portrait mode, you feel a little bit like a noob. Whereas yeah. if you can get it sideways, it just looks like an old SRM power meter or something. Well, you've seen my, my hack together phone mounts, uh, which we can talk about at some point, but uh, it works actually surprisingly well. And it's the lightest uh, cycling computer you can get because it's the one that's already in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to put a pin in the, the DIY gravel segment, I just want to say the SBT gravel virtual event is totally free. So there's kind of no reason not to register and get all the information. I think if you make a minimum $10 donation to a bunch of charities that they have listed, you're then entered into a free raffle. So I'm excited. I mean, I think it's going to be a big day on the calendar, August 16th, if I'm getting that right. It's just going to be fun knowing that a bunch of people in our community are out there slogging it out and suffering through some amazing rides. Awesome. Very, very cool. We'll be exciting to see. Now, what about equipment for this? So we, you, uh, one of the things we were going to talk about today is uh, tires. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So someone, I think it was maybe on Instagram, um, I got pointed to a blog post on the Renee Hearse site. Mm -hmm. Renee Hearse um, has tires and a bunch of other product in mm -hmm. the gravel space. And I was really interested to get your take. So maybe if you could sort of 
give a little summary of, of what the article was about. And we'll obviously post a, a link to it so people can read it for themselves. But I'd love to get your take on some of their takes on 700C versus 650B and things like contact patches, et cetera. Yeah. And um, I won't give the, the full uh, the full detail of the article, but I'll kind of give the highlights. Uh, 650B is faster. Anyone who just wants to fast forward to the end, ride 650B, it's faster on pretty much everything. Uh, but let's let's get into why that's true. You don't have to take my word for it here. Um, so like in, you know, let's say hypothetically you had, um, you know, uh, two wheels and one was was slightly bigger and they were solid wheels. Well, in that case, then yes, the bigger wheel would um, be inherently faster because, you know, attack angle and things like this. Um, but that's not what you have with a pneumatic tire. A pneumatic tire is like a really efficient spring. So it absorbs the energy and then it releases the energy on the other side of the bump. And on, you know, any, even, even, even on a pretty smooth paved road, you're going to have a lot of, you know, surface variation and imperfection. But on a, on a gravel ride, you're going to have, you know, considerable variance in, in surface. And so having that energy, um, get absorbed by the tire and then released is is a considerable benefit versus having it transferred into your body. Um, if we assume the the same uh, tire construction, so this would primarily be the casing and the tread, um, and you have say like a, a 650 by 47 and a 700 by 40. Um, on the one hand, the 700 by 40 is is going to be about 10 millimeters, you know, greater radius. That's only three percent difference. So the, the attack angle and any other, you know, thing related to the radius, uh, primary things related to the radius of the tire, you know, that delta is only going to be 3%. But the, percent, the percentage deformation of the tire as you hit bumps with the bigger tire is going to be less. So what do I mean by that? The, uh, the taller, wider tire is going to compress, let's say it compresses like 10 millimeters over a bump. Well, that is going to be a smaller percentage of those 47 millimeters than the, you know, that 10 millimeters of the, the, the 40 millimeter tire on the 700s. And so it's, and that relates to how much the tire casing is deforming um, as it's rolling and as it's uh, hitting these bumps and so on. Uh, so being, you know, if everything else is equal there, um, then the, the higher volume tire is going to roll more efficiently. So when you when you talk about it deforming, I think I guess the way I think about it is like when you when you press your thumb into the tire, when you sit down on a bike, you see the the tire deforming. It's compressing kind of at the lowest point. Is that mm-hmm. what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. At at that point of contact, and then the the contact patches will be shaped a bit differently. Um, but again, anything related to the increase in diameter of the tire is only going to be three percent. Uh, the other thing that comes in here is the suppleness of the casing, and this is actually a major driver of your rolling efficiency, um, far more than any anything radius-related. And so supple casings really are the key because you have this percentage deformation of the, of the casing, but then you have like, well, how flexible is that casing itself? So if you have a stiffer tire, um, then it's going to uh, absorb um, more of that energy um, and radiated essentially as heat, as friction between the layers and the tires and so on, as opposed to a more supple casing that has less resistance to that deformation. Uh, and so this is like, you look at Rene Hurst's tires, um, the, the WTBs that we run, uh, their whole line of 650B tires is really, really supple, uh, which is why I love those tires. They just, they just ride really, really well and are efficient. Uh, and then, you know, these, the suspension losses that you have with a, 
a lower volume tire at higher pressure are also considerable, not just in terms of pure rolling efficiency, but also just fatigue, which you know people don't really take into account, uh, especially over the course of a longer ride. Uh, that fatigue can make a considerable difference in the overall efficiency and power output of the the man human. Uh, the, the the human machine uh, uh, interface that you're you're essentially forming with your bike. So let me let me ask you a question about suppleness. So for example, I, I bought a, an inexpensive mountain bike tire for my son's twenty inch bike, and it mm-hmm. was it felt almost like a car tire, like it was super stiff mm-hmm. and rigid. Are you sort of suggesting that sort of a lower quality of tire that? when I sort of push down on it, the fact that it, it doesn't move very easily in that inexpensive tire, these more supple casings will will move with sort of more flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. There's less resistance to the, to change in shape. So it, it deforms more readily and that relates to the efficiency and then also the ride quality. Cause if it deforms really readily, then it's going to deform and, and, um, uh, you know, to, to get like a, a nice uh, contact patch with the ground, you know, respond very quickly uh, to any sort of, uh, you know, bumps or, or, or uh, you know, pressure uh, applied to the tire. Okay, so depending on, on the type of obstacle you're rolling over, you know, it just sort of sucks it into the tire by compressing itself, you know, displacing the air effectively, mm-hmm. and you and you roll through it, and it's returned to its you know, expanded shape is smoother than, well, it's, it's absorbing less energy in both directions as it's, um, as it's compressed and then as it releases. Um, so it's less energy, uh, that's being diffused as, as essentially heat. Um, and so that, that's kind of the, the big driver there, but then also because the tire is more responsive, think of it like a, um, think of it like a, a suspension fork that has a whole lot less, um, uh, uh, you know, compression and rebound damping, right? So it's okay. it's a lot more uh, responsive yeah. in that way. And those damping circuits, um, it, it's not a perfect analogy, but they're 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 essentially absorbing energy, and that's how the damping is is working. It's it's uh, it's it is a parasitic loss to some degree. It, it's so interesting. I mean, there's so much going into just the decision making around what size wheels and what tires you're going to use on your bike. And as we've talked about before there can be so many changes in personality of your bike depending on what you choose. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is taking it to another layer and level saying, you know, even within the tire size and the tire width, the suppleness of the casing is yet another factor that's coming into play. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a dominant factor. Um, and there are some trade-offs here, right? The more, you know, these really light, casings can be slightly more delicate though frankly the the wtbs that we've been riding i've i've you know i think i've punctured once and no sidewall tears so impressively robust and then also um they don't tend to seal as well right off the bat because they're so thin there's a little bit more porosity to the casing um but you you know you inject sealants you go for a ride maybe it goes one of the tires goes flat after the first ride you ride again it distributes the sealant and then it's sealed for good um, and so that's not really, uh, neither of those are really a major downside, but it's not something that is quite as, um, uh, you know, easy to set up, uh, right off the bat. Uh, these super supple casings, they tend to, they tend to, uh, you know, bleed just a little bit or weep just a little bit. It's also interesting to see a lot of manufacturers and, and this seems to be almost a, a reaction to 
the type of course you might get out in Kansas where people were getting a lot of uh, sidewall tears, mm -hmm. that they're starting to offer multiple levels of sidewall protection yeah. in the same tread pattern lineup. Yep. That makes a ton of sense. Um, also, um, the shape of the tire and how far around the casing uh, the tread goes, because that, that tread is essentially, you know, thicker material, so it's harder to puncture. Um, but then, actually, this, this also is another th benefit of higher volume tires. When you have a bigger contact patch, the amount of pressure per unit area um, is going down. So you are less likely to have something puncture through the casing, all else equal. You know, pounds, yeah. per, pounds per square inch. So you have, you know, when you have lower pressures, which you can get with a higher volume tire, um, then you're distributing the load, which is staying constant over a bigger area. And that's uh, helping with puncture resistance. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, that the article was super thought provoking, which is why I sent it to you and wanted to get a little bit of perspective on it. Because I, I, as I said, I think there's a lot to it for newer riders to kind of absorb and first things first just get out there and ride and have fun the second thing is start to evaluate what's possible within the equipment you already own and how tires can really change the personality and create opportunities for your riding yeah yeah and i'd, and I'd close this out by saying like one of the you know we we end up having this conversation quite a bit because we offer both like the 700s and the the 650s um, 700s, if you have, if you want to have one wheel set for everything and you want to be able to ride like a, a set of road slicks and then kind of max out your, your, uh, you know, your knobby tire volume for when you go gravel, if you have budget for one wheel set, that can be a good way to go. On the other hand, a, a 650 wheel set with a slick supple tire is actually also very efficient for road riding. It's not going to be what you go down and, and you know, uh, do a crit on, but if I was bike touring, primarily on road, I'd be on 650s. Absolutely. Rolling resistance, the, the comfort of it, the versatility of it. Um, so don't, um, people should not be overly concerned about 650s really limiting their on-road ability because you can actually still get a, a very efficient package given how, how supple these uh, modern tubeless tires are. Yeah. As you know, I'm getting set up on another set of 650 wheels and I'm going to do exactly that with the slick tires that you're going to set me up with. And yeah. I'm excited just because typically in my mind, it's always been, if I'm going to go for a road ride, I'm going to slap on a 700C wheel set. And my 650B wheel sets have always been exclusively set up with the biggest, knobbiest, gnarliest <laughs> tires I have in my garage at that moment in time. So to have this, this other set of 650Bs with a completely slick tire on, I'm just super curious to kind of go out with my road friends with those tires and uh, ride with them for a couple hours, then hit some dirt on the way home. Well, it's also kind of the ultimate urban commuter tire as well, uh, especially if you live where I'm from. Um, I grew up in Boston. And so like, you know, winter riding potholes and, and rough surfaces and so on. Um, it's it riding riding skinnies in those sorts of conditions is, is uh, it can be downright hazardous. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and if you can fit the tire in your wheel in your frame, it's why not, right? You're, when you're, especially when you're commuting across San Francisco's notorious pothole lanes, yeah. um, having a big fat tire, I think, would be, would be a good choice. So um, I think we come firmly in the, uh, if you're thinking 650, um, go for it camp, uh, both of us, in terms of tires. It seems like Renee Hurst is on that page as well, with the exception of you know, maybe we would say like on a hard packed dirt dirt paths if you're riding primarily hard packed dirt paths and mostly road then uh, maybe a 700 would make sense 
But yeah, and me- I know this is this has always been a particularly religious argument in the gravel cycling community, one way or the other. So I'm I'm definitely I think we're both interested in hearing what you have to say. So feel free to leave us a voicemail. We've got that phone line set up at 415-843-1701. Or you can also contact us directly via the Gravel Ride website, which is thegravelride.bike. And uh, the name of the article is uh, Why 700C Wheels Don't Roll Faster by Renee Hurst. We can put a link in the in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> right on. All right. So what's your can't let it go this week? My can't let it go is wide handlebars. And I'm only going to just tease it out at the moment. I don't want to drill into it because I, I definitely want to drill into this a lot deeper. But I've been riding a 48 millimeter bar by um, PNW, their Coast mm-hmm. Bar, with a, a shallow drop and a 20-degree flare. And what right. I discovered right off the bat was that being able to kind of pull from a wider position on the outside of my bar gave me the sort of flickability of a mountain bike. And all these memories started flushing back in my mind of when I was in the... Uh, I guess it was sort of the mid-90s sawing down an Easton Hyperlite handlebar for my mountain bike mm-hmm. down to, you know, probably the equivalent of a 44 so I could, quote unquote, get through the trees and how over the years, like, you know, you would never ride that on a mountain bike at this point. And when I had the opportunity to try these bars, I was really just kind of interested, as we've talked a little bit about before on the podcast this MTB influence into gravel riding again, with a caveat of this is very location dependent and riding style dependent. But I found for Marin County, it has been a little bit eye opening to be able to throw the bike around a little bit more and to have some more leverage. So is it like a, do you find that it's a confidence thing, a control thing? What are the, what are you seeing as like the benefits as you're riding? A control thing. Yeah, I, I definitely like the short drop. I feel like I'm really in the pocket when I'm when I've dropped my saddle down. Mm-hmm. And then with the width, I feel like I can very readily pull the front wheel up and over things. So in those moves where you might be coming across a rut or over a rock or obstacle, it's just been very. Uh, it I've just felt very connected to the bike at the moment. And you're running the same length stem, yeah. I am on the team at PNW had advised me to go um, 10 millimeters shorter for every um, every two millimeters wider. I knowing that I had and that might not be the exact equation, but yes, they advised two, to go probably shorter. two centimeters. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. I think they wanted me to go from from a ten a ten to an eight. Yeah, and I have sort of long recognized that my position is maybe a little bit more compacted than it needed to be. Mm -hmm. And because I've been a fan of the redshift stem lately, I wanted to keep that on. So I I didn't make the change. And I kind of feel like for me, it worked because I was a little short as it was, Mm -hmm. but they definitely, you know, it definitely makes you reach further. So it's worth noting that if you're going to try one of these bars, you might want to try a shorter stem as well. Well, next time we link up for a socially distant ride, we'll have to uh, swap bikes for a bit. I want to try these. As you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, well, my philosophy generally is um, having a bike that looks and feels like a road bike and then extends into gravel. But um, if you're 
if you're riding this primarily off-road, and especially you know if you're doing uh, like bike packing and and like big adventures, uh, that can make a, a tremendous amount of sense. Uh, and it's not yeah, and ever I, the, otherwise compromising the bike. Very true. And I I definitely have found myself. I mean, I look at my setup and where it's drifting to, mm-hmm. and it's less and less like the bike that I probably want to hit the big crit on. Yeah, yeah. And it's been conscious, as you said, like this is my choice for my style of riding that's around the corner from me. And I was thinking to myself, ah, what if I, you know, if I rode down to LA on the coast, on the coast ride next year, would I swap the bars out? And my gut reaction now is, yeah, I probably would Mm -hmm. for that type of, you know, supported road ride touring down the coast. Yeah. But I wouldn't swap it out if I was throwing the bike packing bags on and riding off-road because I think I would see some benefits from it. 3T has an interesting bar that seems to uh, split the difference uh, really well. I can't recall the name of it off the top of my head, but it has the, you know, you get the same hood positioning that you would get on a dedicated road bar, but then it has a flare that starts below where the, the hoods are clamping. And you get a considerable amount of flare below there, and it's really compact. And that kind of seems to be... Yeah, you know, the closest thing to best of both worlds that I've seen so far. But you're right; it doesn't. There's no substitute for like something really wide. But then, as a road machine, it's not quite. Uh, doesn't have quite the feel that you would want. Uh, steering slows down a little bit. It feels a little more ponderous. Yeah. Speaking of innovation and cycling, what's been on your mind? I know there's been some tech stuff we've been bouncing around between each other. Yeah, it's always interesting to see um, you know new applications for 3D printing. Uh, so there's, um, you know, Moots, I think is doing titanium dropouts and has been for some time. And that's a, a pretty minor thing. It's a, I think it's a, a centering process. Um, and it's, it's fairly expensive. Uh, so, you know, you can do it on a bike of, of, uh, at that sort of price point. Um, I remember when I, when I heard about that, I was like, that's crazy. Cause in my mind, and I've, I've owned a 3d printer in my, my manufacturing background. And for those of you who don't know, it's, it's sort of an additive process. So whatever material is in, they're they're building up from the ground up, so there's very little waste in the process. But as I said, in my mind, it was like we were using plastic. So to find out that they were using titanium in it is pretty incredible. Well, and titanium is actually a really good material because this um, laser sintering process actually creates um, uh, you know bonds between the molecules and the material that are quite robust. And because it's 3D printed, you're not limited by, say, what you can do with a CNC mill or a stamping or forging machine um, in terms of the shapes that you can create. So you can create hollow structures. And, and uh, you know, um, one example that, that is used quite often is um, like uh, uh, jet engine injector nozzles, where you can create these really complicated shapes that you just can't manufacture any other way. And it improves efficiency and weight and things like that. So that's, that's one application. Um, I, my, my buddy Craig Calfi down by Santa Cruz was also 3d printing, um, plastic, uh, molds to create custom lugs for tube and lug construction, carbon frames with custom geos, which is another kind of interesting, but, but also very niche application because it's so expensive. Um, the one that came up more recently was these, uh, specialized saddles. Have you seen these specialized power mirror? Yeah, it was totally nuts when I heard it because now, I mean, clearly they're they're building. I don't know what material they're kind of building out of in the three D printer, but it sounded pretty interesting to me how they're approaching the the problem. In that, I think the previous technology was if you're sort of flooding the the saddle underneath the cover layer 
with um, the foam padding, you kind of end up having to do a uniform layer, right? So does this allow more freedom? Um, it, it definitely allows more freedom. Uh, the question I have is, is it freedom that matters? Uh, and, I, and I just don't know. Um, but like with foam, um, it's hard to create multiple densities in a given layer of foam, but you can create multiple, multiple densities by having multiple layers. Uh, and so there's different ways you could do that. You could manufacture it with, um, like gluing different layers together. Um, you could even, um, glue the layers together and then like mill, uh, mill out the excess material. So you end up with like, you know, more cushioning under your seat bones, for example, but then you can shave away and make it, um, you know, uh, both removing material to create the cavities you want. And then also like more firmness in different areas. So you, there, there's a quite a bit you can do with foam. Um, the, the weight difference is, um, actually the, the weight doesn't seem to be any different. Uh, so this thing they're claiming for the full carbon one. So the, I think it's like four or 500 bucks, 192 grams, uh, for reference, like, you know, we have an off the shelf, uh, carbon rail saddle from Velo, um, that is 205 grams. Uh, so it's not really a weight savings thing. Um, and you know, with construction stuff, you can, you can get a traditional saddle even lighter, but it is interesting that, that you'd be able to create very, um, customizable, uh, very tuned uh, cushioning uh, in different areas of the saddle, uh, but then the question is like, well, how relevant is that? How relevant is that in the context of um, how effective the foam designs are currently, and how much we already depend on the um, you know the chamois built into our shorts for a lot of that that cushion and for creating a, a good interface between one's backside and the machine. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, at, at $450, that's a pretty tall ask for a saddle for most of us. Um, I do think, you know, with anything to do with 3D printing technology, the price is going to come down and the the opportunity is always that something completely customizable can happen. Now, mm-hmm. I certainly don't know how we all map our derrieres to... <laughs> send a specialized to get a custom printed saddle and even what I would want out of that saddle. But I am excited about the technology. I think it's super interesting. I think it's definitely interesting. I still think in terms of its application in bike, that there's nothing that provides enough of a benefit to justify what will remain for a very long time, a considerably higher uh, production cost, like producing things at scale through, through stamping, molding, uh, injecting things like this is just so immensely efficient. Um, you know, as an example, like a really high quality saddle with chromoly rails uh, can be had for ten bucks. Like this is the the cost. Now this isn't what you buy it for. People sell it to you for you know a hundred bucks, um, but it costs ten bucks to make. And the three D printed version of that same thing, um, you know, you can't. It's not being. In fact, the the traditional process is much more like a printer than anything else. It's just like printing out saddles at high volume. Um, obviously, it's, it's, there's a more manual process there, but there's, there's just so much production cost associated with these like one-off additive uh, manufacturing uh, items that it's hard to see this becoming mainstream unless there's a real step change in the technology. Yeah, well, only time will tell, my friend. Yeah, yeah. All right, is that enough nerdery for this week's uh, In the Dirt? I think that is. I think we'll sign off, my friend. All right, always a pleasure, Craig. See you in a couple weeks. Cheers. That's it for this week's episode of In the Dirt. We hope you enjoyed the conversation, and we'd love to get your contributions. We've set up a voicemail line at 
843-843-1701. If you have anything you'd like to comment about, about what we discussed, or have suggestions about topics for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. If typing's more your thing, just visit www.thegravelride.bike and hit us up via the contact form or on any social media platform. Until next time, be safe, and here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.